What's going on? Welcome into the Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. It's a game day edition tonight. The Pelicans are in Indianapolis to take on the Pacers. We have a very special guest on the show today. Of course, uh, New Orleans native, St. Aug High School graduate, Avery Johnson, former coach of the year, NBA champion, you name it, he's done it. Also the former coach at University of Alabama where he coached Kyra Lewis Jr. for a season. Avery, good morning. I appreciate you coming on. Good morning. Glad to be on. Happy. Yeah. Absolutely. Before I get into Kyra, before I send it over to the gym, you know, uh, we are good friends here with Antonio Daniels, who you won a championship with with the Spurs in 1999. So we want you to dish the dirt on him. What what is it? What was he like as a teammate? You got to give us some good stuff. What was AD like as a teammate with the Spurs? Uh, Antonio uh, Daniels was arguably uh, one of the worst teammates I've ever had <laughs> in my entire 16 year career. Very hard to deal with. Um, you know, he never really got to a period when he was talking. It was just extended paragraphs. <laughs> so, so it kind of, you, you needed earmuffs, you know, you needed earplugs because this guy, you know, he's just really full of himself. And But no, on a serious note, um, it's just quite the opposite. And Antonio's been a very, very close friend. Uh, you know, he was one of the guys that I mentored because it was early in his career. I would say every uh, road game where it wasn't a back-to-back game, you know, we went to lunch and uh, I just tried to pour into him as a man, as a basketball player. And um, I I couldn't be proud of him, the man that he's developed into, his character, uh, his his family, um, just the way he models, really being a good leader. Uh, And and he's doing an amazing job on, on the Pelicans broadcast. You know, I listen to him a lot, and uh, so I, I think he's really developed into quite uh, a, a really good example and role model. Yeah, we certainly appreciate, you know, him coming in here and doing the job that he's done as the TV analyst. It's like you said, he's been great to listen to him and has yeah. done an excellent job. It's also a lot of fun before games, sitting with him in the radio studio, for example, and listening to him talk about the NBA and just everything in general. So he's been He's been really a joy to be around in his brief amount of time that he's been with the organization. But um, well, just wanted to ask you about Kyra. Um, going back to, you know, when you recruited him and when you first watched him as a, a high school player, um, what were some of the things that stood out to you the most about him and some of the things that, that you know, you noticed about him as a player? Well, when I first noticed, looked at him, you know, from a physical standpoint, I was thinking, man, this kid is, he's, he's small, mm-hmm. but, you know, he didn't really have a presence physically. Uh, but you got to remember, this is back when the kid's in ninth grade. Yeah. My God, when, <clears throat> when I saw him uh, burst up and down the floor with just that acceleration and speed and fluidity in his game and how silky smooth he shot the ball so effortlessly um, from you know, many steps behind a three-point line and his high basketball IQ, um, man, I was just really impressed. He, he was a quiet kid when I first met him, um, but um, just a kid that I just thought had next-level talent, which now that's been proven to be true. And I would say the main thing is the humbleness that Kyra always uh, exhibited. 
uh, on and off the court and sometime on the court a little too humble, but, uh, but just an amazing family. Uh, his mom, Natasha, his dad, Kyra Sr. You know, those are the type of families that uh, you, you want to be involved with because they, they make a coach's job a, a lot easy because you can really coach their son hard and uh, they're not going to run home to mama. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned, um, you know, obviously first seeing him early in his, even his high school career. What do you think are some of the areas where he showed the most improvement or strides that he made between the time that you first started recruiting him and by the time his college career was over at Alabama? I think he, he made his most strides just in his decision-making, uh, just making, making the right play, whatever that is, whether it's scoring or passing or getting a hockey assist, uh, just being in the right place at the right time. I think that's where he made his biggest jump. And I think, for, you know, from a defensive standpoint, I would say that's, that's a close second, whereas he got a little bit stronger knowing, uh, trying to navigate through screening situations and understanding angles and, you know, whether he was on the ball or off the ball, he made, he made some, some improvements in, in those areas also. You mentioned, um, obviously, he was very slight when you first saw him, and he still, I think, weighs 160. One thing that Stan Van Gundy kind of jokingly mentioned recently was that the, he said basically two of the th biggest things we need from Kyra is for him to be come 20 or 21 years old and for him to go from 160 to 175 pounds. And he basically said, you know, it's probably not something that's going to happen by tomorrow, but how much of, um, how much of a focus was that for him as far as just trying to get, uh, you know, become a, get a sturdier frame and just gets a little bit stronger. Yeah, that was a big focus, but you got to remember when I had Kyra, you know, he was supposed to be a high school senior, you know, he opted to enter college um, early and it was good for us because, you know, we were counting on Jared Butler uh, being our point guard for that season. And, you know, after Jared spent two months with us and then transferred to, um, to Baylor, uh, we were kind of in a bind. So fortunately Kyra was able to enter college early. So he was 17 years old. I would imagine he was 150 pounds then. Mm. And, um, so we tried to do the best that we could in such a short period of time. But I, I just think that was a big focus, you know, diet, um, weight training, strength and conditioning, but it wasn't gonna happen overnight. So I just think he's still in a stage right now where he's still relatively young. Um, you gotta give it maybe 12 to 18 or 24 months for him to figure it out from a physical standpoint. And I'm sure with the training staff of the Pelicans, they'll be, and with his work ethic, he'll be able to, to uh, attain all of those, those goals. I'm glad he brought up work ethic. Cause that was my next question with him. You talk about how humble he is. And, and, you know, when we talk to Stan and we talk to some of his teammates talking about how much he's just trying to absorb everything. He's a sponge trying to listen as much as he can and learn as much as he can. Did you notice that early with him at Alabama, as far as his work ethic and how much he was trying to, to learn since he was a, a little younger than most players at his age. Yeah. You know, the kid's always been a student of the game. You know, he, he's always been in the gym. He loves the gym. Uh, you know, basketball is his life and it's his job. And he always carried that type of demeanor. Um, 
you know, that type of professionalism, even when, when he was a college uh, freshman. But, you know, he's just, he was just always a little bit more quiet about how he went about doing his business. A little bit different than, you know, Colin Sexton, who was more brash and boisterous and confident, that kind of Kevin Garnett in your face type of a style. But Kyra's the total opposite, just more like a quiet assassin, but um, always had really excellent uh, work habits. What was your reaction on draft night when you found out, you know, you were born here in New Orleans and you played uh, high school basketball here when you found out he was going to New Orleans? How much of a, how overjoyed were you to, to see him, you know, being drafted by the Pelicans in the first round? Well, I was excited because, you know, New Orleans, you know, need all of the good news that we, we can get. And the city's been through a lot. Our country's been through a lot. So to see a kid like Kyra, who I had the pleasure of working with for a year, um, end up, you know, with my hometown team, uh, that, that was pretty exciting. And just to know the, the look on his mom and dad's face and all of his family and folks that have supported him all of the years and knowing that it's, um, I would say with, within a seven hour drive from Huntsville, his hometown, that mom and dad could get, get in the car and get down to New Orleans and, uh, and support him. So he, he's going to be good for the city, good for the community. Um, and he's going to be uh, the type of player that a lot of young people in New Orleans that are in elementary and middle school and high school that they can look up to. Couple more questions uh, before I let you go. Avery Johnson here, who coached Kyra Lewis at Alabama. Um, just what have you seen from him? I know, you know, there's so many basketball games going on, but have you been able to watch him in the NBA so far? At first, he wasn't getting a ton of minutes, but I think head coach Stan Van Gundy and the executives and the players are even realizing that we need to see this kid play the way he's been progressing during practice. How much have you been able to watch him so far this year? Yeah, I've watched a few. Um not whole entire games, but, you know, a couple of quarters here and there. Um, or, you know, if I'm doing something else and I see that he's gotten into the game, then I'll turn it on. My, the business that I'm in right now doesn't, doesn't afford me to sit around and just watch NBA games all day, every day. But I try to keep in touch, especially when I know I'm going to go on, you know, CBS Sports HQ, uh, where I work or uh, CBS sports network when I have a couple of college basketball games, I got to stay close to that. But, you know, I've watched a couple of times that he's gotten in the game and he's doing a nice job and he's still, you know, he's a work in progress like a lot of rookies. Um, I think early in the year, there was a game in Miami, you know, maybe where he had eight or 10 points uh, late in the game and showed some really good flashes, shot the ball well, and, but he's going to continue to get better and better. I think he's only averaging about eight minutes a game this year. So that's, that's, that's not a lot of minutes to really develop, but as he continues to get build more confidence in the coaching staff, you know, have more confidence and trust to play him a little bit more, you know, he'll continue to get better and better. Last question before I let you go, you, you mentioned his shooting. And I feel like that's a very underrated aspect of his game. Would you agree with that? You know, he can get to the rim. We know he can finish at the rim. He struggled a little bit with that one of the other games, but the fact that he's able to get to the rim at his speed is so impressive. But do you feel like the shooting aspect of his game is very underrated? I feel like 
that was a really promising attribute from him coming out of Alabama. Yeah, he, he can really shoot the ball and uh, he can shoot it from all levels. Um, and, you know, his, his three point range, he shoots it easy. Uh, he's got really, really good wrist action. He's got solid shooting form. He's got naturally good spin on the basketball on his release. So that's, that is, if anybody's underrating him as a shooter, he's, he's going to make you pay. So, I, and I think at looking at the Pelicans roster makeup and, and the strengths and weaknesses of their perimeter players, uh, that's something that could really be a nice um, addition uh, to the, to their rotation in terms of the, uh, the style of play and what they're trying to accomplish. So I, I, hopefully he'll get a few more minutes, get a chance to prove himself. But as he knows, the NBA season is different from a college season. It's a longer season. You're going to have a lot of ups and downs. Uh, this is this is his kind of rookie red shirt season. Um, he's not going to be the best version of himself this year. That's going to continue to evolve. And uh, as he continues to build trust with his teammates and that that chemistry, um, and um, I, I think he's going to be an outstanding NBA player. Well, I know a lot of people are excited to see him uh, get some minutes right now, and I've been looking forward to seeing him play. And we certainly enjoyed your insight, Avery, uh, here on the Pelicans podcast. Of course, you can watch Avery on CBS Sports HQ and CBS Sports Network uh, with some college basketball games. And we always enjoy talking hoops with you, Avery, and hope we can do it again real soon. Thanks a lot. And just want to just say um, to all of my family and friends back in New Orleans that I love you. And I hope to see you soon. We hope to see you soon as well. Thanks, Avery. All right, thanks. All right, Jim. So we learned a lot there from Avery Johnson, who recruited Kyra Lewis Jr. out of high school and then coached him a year at Alabama as Kyra spent two years at the University of Alabama before getting drafted by the Pelicans. And a lot of the stuff he said, it feels like we've kind of heard from a lot of people around the college ranks and around the league and from David Griffin and Trajan Langdon. And and look, you know, you notice that he's making an impact when you're starting to have to try to find minutes for him because he's playing so well in the minutes that he's been allotted. So I feel like that's a good sign for for such a young rookie to be able to, you know, get that experience and, and for able to him to get that confidence knowing that he is contributing um, such an early time in his career. Definitely. It seems like across the board, everyone is clamoring for him to get on the court, whether that's coaches, teammates, broadcasters, fans, people on Twitter. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been great to see him get some more playing time. I thought one of the most, um, one of the coolest things that, that Avery Johnson talked about was his background. You, you kind of see the way that Kyra conducts himself and carries himself. You kind of see, it, it makes sense that he comes from a really good family. He just seems like, as Avery said, he's a pretty humble, quiet guy, but he's, he's been very polite and he's been, he just seems to have a really good demeanor. So um, I thought that was uh, that was pretty insightful and really not surprising based on what we've seen from him off the court so far. Well, we don't need him to be polite tonight against the Indiana Pacers if he's able to get some minutes tonight. Uh, Jim, before I let you go, tough back-to-back for the Pelicans, 6 p.m. tonight against the Pacers, and then your first meeting with the Memphis Grizzlies. And we all know from last year how important these matchups were as far as playoff contention and seeding. And I know it's only game number 21 tonight and game 22 tomorrow, but these matchups, no matter what time they are in the season, can be very impactful at the end. 
Uh, but you definitely owe the Pacers one after what happened on January 4th inside the Smoothie King Center. Victor Oladipo, who's not with the team, he's with the Rockets, hits that big three to tie uh, the go down three. And then Miles Turner hits the big three. They force overtime after basically blowing a six-point lead in a matter of seconds and then Pacers winning in overtime. I feel like this is a perfectly good opportunity to get some revenge as they wrap up their season series. It, it really is. And I think there were two elements from even just that sequence that stood out in that when you look back at that game. One, Indiana made 19 three-pointers in that game, which was the most they've made. They had one other game, I think, against the Knicks where they made 19, but that's basically their season high in three-pointers. And also the Pelicans had 18 turnovers in that game. And obviously one of them was extremely costly that happened at the very end of regulation. So those are two areas, two kind of two things I touch on in my three keys to give a little bit of a plug there. But um, from a broad standpoint, though, not specifically related to the Pacers in the re rematch revenge game, um, I'm curious just to see how the Pelicans can build on what they did Wednesday, a game that Stan Van Gundy and I think a lot of people said was either the best game that the Pelicans played this season or the most complete game or some combination of, of those things. So that's especially for the game Friday in Indiana. I would love to see them, you know, come close to replicating what they did against Phoenix and this time on the road, obviously, as we all know, they need to get some road wins because they struggled a lot on the last road trip and they've basically won one road game since um, New Year's Eve. So important also to start stacking up some of those wins outside of the Smoothie King Center. Well, send my friend and you can catch uh, Jim's uh, shoot around report um, right after shoot around done. If you're listening to this in the around lunchtime, but after that, any course you can follow Jim on Twitter at Jim underscore Eichenhofer, where he will promote all of his articles that he's writing And the uh, same goes for post game after hopefully a win for the Pelicans tonight in Indiana. Jim, I appreciate the time and uh, we'll talk to you on Monday for another Pelicans podcast. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right, again, big thanks to Avery Johnson for joining the podcast, Pelicans and Pacers tonight. But before we get to that, let's welcome in Tom Vecchio. As we always do on Friday, starting last Friday, it'll be FanDuel Friday here on the Pelicans podcast. As if you have joined Daily Fantasy on FanDuel.com, he's going to be able to help you set your lineups for the different free games you can play on that website. Tom, happy Friday to you. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. You know, We got an exciting nine-game NBA slate tonight. I'm ready to go. Yeah, Pelicans, Pacers, one of them. But I want to start with the three-point challenge because you explained to us and the listeners how that goes if you want to play that. Really just the three best three-point shooters you think uh, will score the most threes in one night. But talk about strategy. It's not all just about picking the, the top three players of that night that are leading the league in, in three-pointers made. What's the best strategy when going into a night like this when you have so many games and there are so many options out there for that game? Yeah, it can be a little more complicated than just saying, oh, Steph Curry's playing, you know, whoever might be, I'm just going to roster this guy every single night. You know, we want to be taking into account multiple factors. And I think that this is one of the things that can translate uh, once full DFS comes online. And that would be, you know, taking things to look at pace, defensive matchups, you know, who's allowing the most three-pointers, you know, per game uh, in certain circumstances away, home, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's a little bit more than just saying I'm taking the best players in the league. We want to look at the players that are in the best circumstances to actually hit those three-pointers. All right. So under those circumstances, Tom, who do you like tonight? I know there, you mentioned nine games out there. Who are some players that could be attractive when playing this game? Yeah, I think we want to be looking at the, the circumstances overall. And tonight's slate is really interesting because we have the bottom four teams in the league when it comes to most 
uh, three-pointers allowed per game to their opponents. We have the Heat, we have the Pelicans, we have the Bucks, and we have the Hornets. Those are, those are the four teams allowing the most three-pointers per game. Now, we want to look to a player like Bradley Beal going up against the Miami Heat, a player that we know already takes, you know, 20, 22 total field goals on a nightly basis, and he's taking eight, nine, ten three-pointers per game. Now, we look to the Utah Jazz tonight, who actually lead the league when it comes to most made three-pointers per game, and they're going up against Charlotte, who are fourth worst in the league in terms of, you know, total three-pointers allowed. So, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, all these players should be very popular tonight. We didn't get to this game that that uh, players can do on FanDuel.com, but uh, national TV challenge. Um, there's two games tonight, both on ESPN. Explain a little bit more about this game. We didn't get to it last week, but for those that just don't want to play the three-point challenge, uh, what is it about this national TV challenge? It seems like a pretty fun game. Yeah, so this is the NBA in-play challenge. It covers all of the nationally televised games, as you mentioned, and it's very simple. Every uh, For every game, every quarter is new. So there are $400 up for grabs every game, $100 each quarter, you know, free to enter. And it comes down to the possessions per game. So you have to be watching this game. You know, you want to be active. So you start each quarter with 2,000 tokens, you know, free play tokens that you use, and you have to bet on specific outcomes. So when the next possession is up, it'll say, okay, the Celtics tonight are going up against the, the Clippers in one of the televised games. What's going to be next for the Celtics? Will it be a made two-pointer, a made three-pointer, over, uh, three-pointer, turnover, a free throw? But each of those outcomes have different multipliers. So a turnover or a two-point shot are very likely, so that might be only you know 2.5 uh, on the multiplier, but a free throw might be 5.5. So then you can bet the tokens based on what you think is going to happen. And then the multiplier will help you move up the leaderboard. So when talking about strategy to this game, because there's two different games tonight, Raptors, Nets is the first one. And both those teams known for their their offense and not really a ton of defense right now. So that change, does that change how you play when it comes to that game as far as those different scenarios? Certainly, when it comes to the Nets and the Raptors tonight, the over-under tonight is sitting at 242 points, which means we're expecting plenty of scoring. So uh, considering the Nets are taking a ton of three-pointers, they're also making a ton. Same with the Raptors. They're actually second best in the league when it comes to three-pointers allowed. Like you said, these teams are known for their offense, not a whole lot of defense. So if you're betting on the upside, it would come from those three-pointers. So you want to be looking at the three-pointers. And you have to be following along when you're you know, playing the NBA in play. It's uh, constantly moving every possession you're making a new bet so you have to be ready to kind of go with the action if you see these teams are going back and forth and the pace is starting to pick up you want to be ready to make those changes last thing for you the last game of the night on ESPN the doubleheader is Celtics Clippers so based on those two teams what do you need to look out for tonight when it comes to playing this game so one of the main things I would look out for is right now the Celtics have Jalen Brown listed as questionable. And this is one of the things that you could use, uh, you know, to translate to full DFS once it is ready to play. If Jalen Brown is out for the Celtics, we know that Marcus Smart is already out. If Brown ends up being out, that means more of the offense should flow to uh, J- uh, Jason Tatum, that is, if Brown is out. So if, we're, if you were looking for Tatum in the three-point contest, I think that's very viable. He leads the team in most three-pointers attempted per game. And then when you are looking at the back and forth action, we know the Clippers are strong on defense. If you're following this game on a minute by minute by minute basis and you see the Clippers really starting to tighten that defense and the Celtics don't have a whole lot of other offensive options outside of Tatum or Walker, you could start banking on some of those miss, uh, you know, turnovers or missed field goals and really go with the flow that way. So you have to be ready to uh, account for the injury news and the defensive matchup on a nightly basis. 
That's Tom Vecchio of FanDuel. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom underscore DFS, and he'll be back next week to help us out. And I believe Pelicans Mavericks is next week on national television, so a little local flavor that Tom will help us out if you're trying to play that game. Tom, I appreciate the time. We'll talk to you next week. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Good stuff there from Tom. I hope you are logging on to FanDuel.com to play the free games that we you can play legally in Louisiana. Of course, that in-game challenge, as Tom mentioned, focusing on the nationally televised games and then the three-point challenge, you can pick anyone that's playing that night to see who will make the most threes. You can win cash prizes. Again, and don't have to put down any money. Tom will be joining us every Friday to help you set your lineups for those two games. Another big thanks to Avery Johnson, former Alabama coach, coaching or used to coach Kyra Lewis Jr. And speaking of Kyra Lewis Jr., he and the Pels will be back in action tonight on the road, just a one-game trip in Indianapolis as they take on the Pacers and wrap up that season series. Again, the Pelicans owe them one after what happened on January 4th inside the Smoothie King Center with the Pacers scoring six points in a matter of seconds to force overtime with the Pacers winning in overtime 118 to 116. One of the heroes of that game, Victor Oladipo, not in action for the Pacers. He's actually playing now for the Rockets and the Pelicans will see the Rockets back here in the Smoothie King Center on Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, Fox Sports New Orleans and ESPN New Orleans 100.3 with pregame coverage starting on both platforms at 5.30 p.m. Hope everyone has a great weekend. Stay safe. Also, stay bundled up. It's supposed to be a little colder this weekend, a little bit of rain. Hope you stay inside and watch and listen to Pelicans action. And we'll talk to you on Monday right here on the Pelicans podcast presented by CQ.